Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well, as it is wonderful to be back in the pulpit today after a week off from preaching. However, before we begin this morning, I just want to personally thank Mr. Alex Kochman for his sermon last week. I thought his exposition was precise, his pastoral heart was obvious, and his tone and encouragement was sincere. For it is such a blessing, church, to have so many capable men in this congregation who have the ability to preach and to teach. So we thank God for that and for Alex and for his faithful message last week. Nevertheless, as for our sermon today, we will be continuing this morning, working our way through chapter 8 in the Gospel of Mark by looking specifically this morning at verses 22 through 26, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ heals a blind man at Bethsaida. However, before we get to that, let's all take a second here to consider the overall context of our passage today. Whereas previously in chapter 8 in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus Christ, he fed the 4,000. Which although was very similar to when Jesus Christ fed the 5,000 back in Mark chapter 6, it was also very unique in that Jesus Christ performed this miracle, the feeding of the 4,000 in the region of the Decapolis, and thus likely amongst a predominantly Gentile crowd in order to display, church, that he, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd of the sheep, and the very bread of life, and the greater Moses, has come into this world to care for, and to feed, and to satisfy all the nations of this world, church, and not just that of Israel. To which, as Alex touched on last week in verses 11 through 21, Jesus Christ then, once again, was approached by that of the Pharisees, who came to Jesus Christ this time seeking a sign from heaven as a way to test Jesus Christ, to which Jesus Christ refuses to give to them, church, in short, because of their hardness of heart, their unbelief, and their unwillingness to accept the facts that Jesus Christ is already doing, the things that only God himself can do and thus must be truly God. Therefore, Jesus Christ then, he decides to get into a boat with his disciples here and set sail with them to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. However, while doing so, he, Jesus Christ then, says to them in verse 15, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. To which Jesus' disciples then, they begin discussing with one another in verse 16 that they have no bread, focusing here, church, not on spiritual things, which is what Jesus Christ was talking about here, but instead on the temporal. Therefore, Jesus Christ, he responds back to them by saying in verse 17, for why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Verse 18, for having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember, verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 and verse 20, the seven loaves for the 4,000, verse 21, for do you not yet understand? In essence, that I, Jesus Christ, who fed the 5,000 and who even fed the 4,000 who were part of this Gentile world as well, that I am the Christ, the Messiah, and the eternal Son of God. And yet Jesus' disciples here, 
Despite all the miracles that they have seen and all the teachings that they have heard, they still cannot grasp at this time exactly who this Jesus Christ truly is. And yet our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in his mercy, he does not give up on them here, but instead will continue to help them gradually grow, church, in their understanding of him. Which takes us to our thesis statement today, or to the main theme of our sermon today, which is this. Jesus Christ can open the eyes of the blind however he sees fit so that they will be able to see clearly. Jesus Christ can open the eyes of the blind however he sees fit so that they will be able to see clearly. And for at this time, church, let's open up our Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 8 as we will be looking specifically this morning at verses 22 through 26. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible at this time, then please feel free to grab and even to, and to keep one of our church Bibles, which are located in the chairs in front of you this morning, as we truly do want all of you here today to have your very own copy of the Word of God. However, the only thing we ask, if indeed you do take and keep one of our church Bibles, is that you read it, starting today by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 844, and by joining us as we, as a church family, hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, church, we are going to be in Mark chapter 8 this morning, looking specifically at verses 22 through 26, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, And laid his hands on him. He asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we glorify you this morning that we are able as a church body to gather together on your day, the Lord's day, to sing songs of praise to you, to pray to you, to give of our heart's desire and our offerings to you this morning, and to hear your word proclaimed. Father, we pray, as we know number of families and children are sick today, that you be with them as they are home. And Lord, we pray healing upon healing for them. But for all those here today and those listening online, Father, I pray that you open our eyes, which is something only you can do, unplug our ears, soften our hearts this morning to receive your word. 
Father, it is only you that opened the eyes of the blind. It is only you who unplugged the ears of the deaf, untangle the tongue of the mute so that we can confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. And as we have seen over and over and over throughout history, Father, you are faithful to do that. Father, even when we are faithless, you are faithful. Father, open our eyes to that message this morning. Let us leave here today being in all of the goodness and the mercy and the sovereignty of our God as displayed in this word, that he can do all things, that you, Father, can do all things however you see fit for the good of your people and for your glory. Let us rest in that fact, I pray. And Father, I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning to communicate your word clearly and boldly and confidently, Lord, not in my own means, but because this is your word, Father, your perfect, infallible, inerrant, and as Alex already said, your perfectly sufficient word for each and every one of us. Let us glorify you this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian, our God can heal whoever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, and on whatever timeline he wants, and does not need to meet our expectations in doing so. Point number one, Christian, our God can heal whoever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, and on whatever timeline he wants, and does not need to meet our expectations in doing so. Verses 22 through 24, which reads, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village and when he had spit on, this, on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. So after getting into a boat last week and leaving that of the Pharisees and setting sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus Christ and his disciples then, they eventually make landfall on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee at a place called, verse 22, Bethsaida. And I know I sound like a broken record here, church, but as we have seen over and over and over again throughout the Gospel of Mark, yet again, another group of people bring their sick to Jesus Christ. Specifically, as we see in verse 22, that of a blind man. And they beg Jesus Christ here to touch this blind man and ultimately make him well. And Jesus Christ, who at this stage in the Gospel of Mark, has healed people instantly and completely by merely touching them and by saying a word to them and by even being touched by them. Here, however, church, Jesus Christ, he doesn't initially do any of that. But instead, as we go on to see in verse 23, Jesus Christ, he simply takes this blind man by the hand and leads him out of the village which is just such a beautiful and wonderful scene to think about here, church, is it not? 
of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God in the flesh, literally here, just taking this blind man by the hand and then likely just slowly walking with him and talking with him and guiding him all while being ever so patient with him so that he doesn't bump into anything, run into anyone, or hurt himself all until he, Jesus Christ, just compassionately leads this blind man out of the village. And then as we go on to see in verse 23, Jesus Christ then, he spits on this blind man's eyes and lays his hands on him as well. Very similar, church, to when Jesus Christ put his fingers into the deaf man's ears and after spitting, touched the man's tongue back in Mark chapter 7. Again, likely as a way, as one commentator writes, For Jesus Christ to give this blind man confidence here that his sight would soon be restored. Since it was a common belief back in the day that healers could actually bring about healing through the means of spittle. Nevertheless, after spitting on this blind man's eyes and laying his hands on him, Jesus Christ then says to the blind man in verse 23, Do you see anything? which is the only time, church, as recorded in the Gospels where we see Jesus Christ asking someone about the effectiveness or about the success of one of his healing attempts. To which the blind man here, he looks up and replies back to Jesus Christ by saying to him in verse 24, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And that this blind man here, church, he can now see, but the reality is he cannot see clearly, so much so that the people that he now is seeing, they actually look like trees walking. Indicating here that the healing of this blind man's sight is not at this time truly complete. Which leads to the question then, church, for is Jesus Christ here having trouble healing this blind man? Or does Jesus Christ here quite simply not have the power to completely heal this blind man? Or is the blindness of this blind man here simply too much for Jesus Christ to truly overcome? And of course, the answer to all of those questions is absolutely not. And I say that with such confidence and assurance, and certainty, church, because as we have already seen throughout the gospel of Mark, Jesus Christ has already, at this time, casted demons out of the possessed, made well those who were sick, made walk those who were lame, made hear those who were deaf, calmed a storm, walked on water, fed the 5,000, and even brought Jairus' daughter back from the dead, all on the first go-around, church. So yeah, if Jesus Christ wanted to heal this blind man instantly and perfectly and completely on the first attempt than he most assuredly and definitely could have. Which leads to the question then, for why didn't Jesus Christ here just completely then heal this blind man on his first attempt? And I think the most logical answer to that question, church, is, especially in light of the overall context here, It's because, as James Edwards describes it, by the gradual healing of the blind man here, Jesus Christ is in essence showing how his disciples will come to faith. For like the blind man, the disciples here too, who have eyes but do not see, can be made to see 
but it will not happen on their own, since the ability to see spiritually is a gift from God. Therefore, this entire healing here, church, as we will go on to see, it actually exemplifies the situation of the disciples who will move from a non-understanding to a misunderstanding to an eventual complete understanding of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, before we move on, I think we would do well to remind ourselves and to remember at this time, especially in light of Jesus Christ, gradually here, healing this blind man in our text today, that our God church can heal people physically and save people spiritually, and sanctify people continually, however, wherever, whenever, and on whatever time frame he pleases, and that he does not need to meet our expectations in doing so. And that although God saves everyone, church, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, he does not always need, Christian, to bring people to saving faith using only the exact same means that he brought you to saving faith with. Nor does he need to sanctify his people, Christian, using only the exact same situations or tribulation that he sanctifies you with. Nor does he even need to heal people physically, Christian, using only the exact same methods that you have experienced physical healings with. Since our God can do whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases, however he pleases, and on whatever time frame he pleases, since our God is God, church, and nothing is impossible for our God. For I read a story this week about a young boy who was traveling by airplane to visit his grandparents and who just so happened to sit down beside a man who was a college professor. Now the boy was reading his Sunday school take-home papers and the professor thought he might have some fun with the young lad. Young man, said the professor, If you can tell me anything that your God can really do, I will give you a big, shiny apple. To which the boy thought for a moment, and then replied, Mister, if you can tell me something God cannot do, I will give you a whole basket of apples. Church, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, our God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And as Psalm 115 puts it, he does all that he pleases. And thus, when you see an individual church and are tempted to believe that your God can't heal them physically because they've been sick for just far too long, or that your God can't heal them spiritually because they've been acting a fool for just far too long, or that your God can't turn them into a serious Bible student because they've just been going through the Christian motions, if you will, for just far too long, then you need to remind yourself, Christian, that your God can heal, save, and sanctify whoever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, and on whatever time frame he wants, and that he doesn't need to meet your expectations, your timeline, or fit it all nicely into your plans in order to do so, and thus never lose lose heart, Christian, simply because you can't.
can't see or perceive or understand exactly how your God is working since your God is God, church, and your God is good and is able to do abundantly more than you could ever ask for or think. Which brings us to point number two. For Jesus Christ can heal the blind and give them the ability to see everything clearly. For Jesus Christ can heal the blind and give them the ability to see everything clearly. Verses 25 and 26. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly and he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So following Jesus Christ, coming to Bethsaida and having a blind man be brought to him and then leading this blind man by the hand out of the village and then spitting on this blind man's eyes and putting his hands on this blind man. This once blind man here, church, he can now see people, but as we go on to see in verse 24, the people he now sees, they look like trees walking, indicating, as previously mentioned, that the healing of this blind man's sight is not complete at this time. And thus Jesus Christ then, as we see in verse 25, He then places his hands back onto this man's eyes. And the man then, he then opens his eyes. And this time, verse 25, his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And that this once blind man, church, who just moments earlier was unable to see. And then after being touched by Jesus Christ the first time, was able to see just a little bit. Now, after being touched by Jesus Christ, this second time is seeing everything clearly and plainly and sharply and with perfect 2020 vision, which, make no mistake about it, church, is a big deal. And thus, do not Brother Christian, sister Christian, ever let the redundancy or the consistency or the regularity of all the miracles of Jesus Christ throughout the gospel of Mark ever keep you from being in absolute awe and wonder and astonishment over just how miraculous all of these healings actually were, especially since the God-man, Jesus Christ himself here, literally just opened the eyes of the blind just as the prophet Isaiah predicted the Messiah would do some 700 years prior, all the way back in Isaiah 35. And yet, Jesus Christ, he still tells this now completely healed man here in verse 26 to not even enter the village when he goes back home, likely because Jesus Christ did not want to attract a ton of publicity here and instead just be able to quietly leave that of Bethsaida here. Nevertheless, in light of the fact that our narrative today, church, about this blind man gradually receiving his sight seems to be acting as a parable of sorts or as an object lesson of sorts about how Jesus' own disciples will go from a non-understanding of Jesus Christ 
to a misunderstanding of Jesus Christ, to that of a complete understanding of Jesus Christ, which we will see played out, church, really throughout the rest of this gospel. The question then that I have for you all today As those who have already been told that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is this. For what then is your precise understanding of Jesus Christ this morning? And I am talking to each and every one of you here today. For what exactly is your precise understanding of Jesus Christ this morning? For is it that Jesus Christ broke into this world as the eternal Son of God to deliver you out of the domain of darkness and transfer you into the eternal kingdom of God forever? For is that your understanding of the God-man himself, Jesus Christ, or... Do you still see and believe and understand Jesus Christ to be someone less than that? Or someone other than that? Or someone separate from that? Because for you to see, believe, or understand Jesus to be anyone or anything other than the Christ, the Messiah, and the eternal Son of God is to still be darkened in your understanding of him, which, make no mistake about it, church, will not save you from your sins, but instead will get you condemned to hell forever. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I want to do so with the non-Christian who is here first. With the non-Christian who at this time is still unable to see Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, and as the eternal Son of God. And to lovingly then, non-Christian, give you the message that your eyes need to be open to this morning so that you can indeed see Jesus Christ as he truly is, be saved from your sins, and not condemned to hell forever. Which is, non-Christian, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is a message, non-Christian, about this God-man named Jesus Christ, who came into this world as truly God and as truly man and to initially live for us, non-Christian, the life that we could never live and that the law of God and the commandments of God and the precepts of God and the ways of God that we as sinners break over and over again each and every day. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, he never broke that law once, but instead lived a sinless and holy and righteous life here on earth and thus fulfilled in its entirety, perfectly and completely, the very law of God, non-Christian, all four the very children of God. However, merely living the life that we could not live, non-Christian, and or keeping the law that we could not keep, that in and of itself was not enough to save sinners from their sins. Since the wage of our sin, non-Christian, or the debt of our sin, non-Christian, it is that of death. And thus, because of that, Jesus Christ then, he willingly paid the wage of our sin by literally giving himself up on a cross at Calvary and dying as a sacrifice in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. However, this perfect 
and sinless and spotless sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that cross at Calvary for the sins of many, it completely and totally then appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And thus, because it appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children, and furthermore, non-Christian, because Jesus Christ never, ever sinned three days later than Jesus Christ, he didn't remain dead, but instead he rose from the dead and defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that your eyes are opened and that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day, I promise you, that you will be forgiven of your sins and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, Brother Christian, Sister Christian, during the first point of my sermon this morning, I mentioned repeatedly that our God, that he can heal, save, and sanctify whoever he pleases, however he pleases, whenever he pleases, and on whatever time frame he pleases. And thus, as we close this morning, Brother Christian Sister Christian, I want to expand on that thought just a bit and consider at this time if we as Christians truly believe that and that our God is so good and so powerful and so wise and so perfect and just that even when we can't see or understand how he is working or moving, healing or refining, convicting or calling, sanctifying or drawing, that we can still believe then, Christian, that our God is still God and still good and still just and still sovereign and that he's for us and not against us, will never leave us or forsake us and that he will still work all things together for good for us and for his eternal glory. Or, when things aren't going so well for us, and we can't clearly see how our God is working, or where our God is working, or on what timeline our God is working, do we then, Christian, begin to doubt the promises of our God, or the trustworthiness of our God, or the reliability of our God, and ultimately then become blind to all the ways that our God has been faithful to us and to his people over and over and over again throughout the history of this world. Pastor J. Kirk Johnston, in his book, Why Christians Sin, he shared this story about a man named Roger Sims who in hitchhiking his way home and anxious to take off his army uniform for the final time, flashed the hitchhiking sign to an oncoming car, a black new Cadillac. And to his surprise, the car stopped and the passenger door opened. 
So Roger ran toward the car, tossed his suitcase in the back, and thanked the man named Mr. Hanover as he got in. Now, after talking about many things, Roger, a Christian, felt the need to witness to Mr. Hanover about Jesus Christ. But he kept putting it off until he realized that he was just about 30 minutes from home. So Roger cleared his throat and said, Mr. Hanover, I would like to talk to you about something very important. And he then proceeded to explain the way of salvation and then ultimately asked Mr. Hanover if he would like to place his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior. To which Mr. Hanover pulled his car over, bowed his head and placed his faith in Jesus Christ right then and there. For this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me, Mr. Hanover said. Now five years later, Roger married and with a business trip of his own to Chicago, while packing, found a small white business card that Mr. Hanover had given him. So while in Chicago, he visited Hanover Enterprises. However, the receptionist told him that it was impossible to see Mr. Hanover at this time, but that he could see Mrs. Hanover instead. A little confused, Roger then was ushered into a lovely office and found himself facing Mrs. Hanover, to which she extended her hand out to Roger and said, So you knew my husband? To which Roger told her about how he had given him a ride home after the war. Can you tell me when that was? Mrs. Hanover asked. It was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the army, Roger replied. For was there anything special about that day that happened, Miss Hanover asked. Why, yes, said Roger. I explained the gospel to Mr. Hanover on that day, and he pulled over to the side of the road and wept against the steering wheel as he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. Instantly then, explosive sobs shook Mrs. Hanover's body, and then after getting a grip on herself, she said, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years, and I had always hoped that God would save him. So where is your husband today, Roger asked. He's dead, she said. For he was in a car accident right after he must have le- you must have left him. For he never made it home. And to think, I stopped living for the Lord five years ago simply because I thought that God was not faithful. Brother Christian, sister Christian, for even when we are faithless, our God remains faithful. And thus, simply because God hasn't saved your sister yet, Christian, or healed your grandchild yet, Christian, or hasn't grown your husband in the faith yet, Christian, does not mean that your God is not working to heal, save, and sanctify your loved ones, Christian, just as he pleases, nor does it mean that even if he doesn't heal, save, or sanctify your loved ones, Christian, that he's not still God and that he's not still good. And I say that because our God has already proven himself over and over and over 
again to be ever so faithful to his children from the promise in the garden to the cradle at Bethlehem to the cross at Calvary and to his willingness to save sinners from their sins and to defeat all the works of the devil. Church, our God is faithful. And thus, when the times do come, Christian, when you can't see up from down, left from right, stop from start, and have simply no idea or understanding as to how your God is working, put your mind at ease knowing that you have a God who cannot change, who does not change, and who will not change. And thus, if he was faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the future, Christian, always doing exactly as he pleases for your good and for his eternal glory. And thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body made up of Christians who have gone from being dead in our sins to alive in Jesus Christ, that each and every day, Father, that you help us see you more clearly, understand you more deeply, trust in you more intimately, and follow you more closely. For so often today, Lord, our world is telling us that we can't trust a 2,000-year-old book, or that Jesus Christ really didn't come back from the dead, or that his teachings are now dated, and that his ways are now archaic and obsolete. And thus, Father, keep us from getting caught up in the lies of the evil one, but instead give us eyes Father, to see just how faithful you have been to save your people, to sanctify your people, and to not lose any of your people, no matter how hard life around them gets. And thus, let us continue to believe, Lord, in our hearts of hearts, now and forevermore, that you are God, that you are good, and that you are faithful, and that your steadfast love for your people, no matter if they can't see, perceive, or understand you, Father that it will endure forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, do not let us fall into this trap of trying to pull you, God, down to our level. Father, let us see you as you are, that you are a big and sovereign and good, and almighty, and omniscient, and all-knowing, and omnipresent God, who does all things in love. Father, there are things that we cannot understand, that we cannot see how you are working, if you are working, where you are working. But Father, your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Father, when we try to pull you down and to make you like one of us and to puff ourselves up so that you, Father, would decrease and so that we as man would increase, Father, I pray for forgiveness at this time. Strip us, strip us of this thought and this idea and this desire. Let us be completely comfortable that you are a God that we cannot completely figure out that you work however, wherever, whenever you please, and that it does not need to be according to our expectations, and that that is a good thing, Father, because you are God and we are not. You are good and we are not. And thus, let us place our trust in that above all else, even when we do not understand. To you, Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen.